Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Happy Friday. Good morning, everybody. I am Amanda LaFrado with Caleb Calhoun, and this is Off the Hook Sports. Caleb, how are you this morning? Pretty good. Um, I, we had a massive rainstorm yesterday. I know you guys had one Wednesday, and I think it's both both of us are having sunny weather today, aren't we? Um, I think so. I can't really. Well, it's a little cloudy out here. It's a little bit, but hopefully it'll clear up. We had sunny weather yesterday, so that was nice. Just a lot of wind. Okay. You know, so. That that was nice. There were a lot of tornadoes that hit though in the south. Like yeah, I was reading that Louisiana, right? Alabama, yeah, a lot of different different things. So um, this morning, sorry about the absence yesterday. I was under the weather, and I know I've been under the weather uh, quite a few times in the past few weeks, and there's there's a good reason for that. Uh, I'm pregnant, so that's that's happy happy news for for my family um but that that stuff kind of happens so sorry about everything i've been missing for uh, the past few weeks but pregnancy is not easy caleb it is not it is not easy caleb so um anywho let's continue with tennessee and covering some of the topics of today so let's start with Caleb, we saw Darnell Wright, and we see that he's going to the NFL draft. However, he is playing in the Orange Bowl. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, I was shocked um, because the day before, Jalen Hyatt opted out and is mm-hmm. not playing in the Orange Bowl. I will say that I, you know, you, I know we disagree. From my, from my opinion, pe- the players are free to make their own decision, and they shouldn't make the decision what's best for them. Um, I think for Tennessee's opinion. I think they'd rather have Darnell Wright playing in the Orange Bowl than Jalen Hyatt. And I think there's a few reasons for that. Um, 
So I think this works out well for him. I think with Jalen Hyatt, um, you know he's not going to be here next year if he's going to the draft. So you really kind of want to start working with Squirrel White and see what you have with him and Joe Milton and see if you need to operate in the transfer portal or whatever to try to bring some new talent in. With Darnell Wright, there's nobody to work with behind him. They need new talent at right tackle. Just period in the story. They need to get into the transfer portal now and find new talent because there's nobody good behind him. So there, this is a situation where there it doesn't benefit the university, the school for him to to opt out of the bowl game because lessens their chances of beating Clemson. And it's not like there's anybody for them to work with at right tackle behind him. If they don't get new talent, they're just in big trouble next year at that position. So. I think Darnell Wright kind of saved them, gives them a bit of a chance against, you know, Clemson has the best pass rush in the country. They have, they have like 40 sacks on the year. Um, and Darnell Wright is, I might argue, it's not crazy to say he is in the conversation for the best pass blocker in the country this year. He gave up zero sacks. He shut down Will Anderson. Um, Darnell Wright's the reason Will Anderson wasn't invited to New York for the Heisman uh, ceremony. I firmly believe he would have gone if Darnell Wright did not, put work on him when when Tennessee played Alabama. So I think that's, I think it's a big deal for Tennessee. I, it made sense. He was going to the draft. He was a senior. He's a high draft pick. Um, but man, they've really got to figure out what to do at right tackle without him because they are in some trouble. Yeah. And we saw this year how, how much that offensive line played a part in <clears throat> Hendon Hooker's success and the success of, um, just Tennessee's offense in general and replacing, I think a lot of football, you know, minds know this, but maybe some fans don't really. Um, because if you, you know, if I weren't around talking football, I would never pay attention to the offensive line. Let's be honest. Who, who looks at the offensive line that much during, you know, plays, but they're a huge deal when it comes to, um, protecting the quarterback their huge deal again why it was so successful why Tennessee was so successful this season and replacing them is not an easy feat I mean it's not, not. and you and you can't over I don't know you can't just <sighs> losing words is is obviously a thing that has happened to me in the past few weeks but you can't <laughs> you can't exaggerate the importance of having somebody and having those years of you know of I don't know experience in college like you can't overstate the importance of those years so losing somebody like Darnell Wright to the NFL is 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 not going to be an easy feat for Tennessee to overcome I think that's just obvious yeah not at all particularly with Jerome Carvin on the inside being gone, like, cause the, what helped, you're right. What helped is this whole line outside of left tackle played together last year. So they were very familiar with each other and their concepts. And you're now replacing two starters. And we, there are still questions about what Tennessee has at left tackle. So with Gerald Mincy and Jeremiah Crawford. So right now it's just Cooper Mays and Javante Spragans. And the, I mean, you can't take a 18 year old kid and plug him in there. No. Very rarely does that happen. Unless he's Trey Smith, which you could. <laughs> yes, but very rarely do you have a Trey Smith. So I agree. The yes. only time, and, and you know, particularly the college level, we underrate the offensive line more because most of the quarterbacks aren't most, even the good ones, don't have the quick reflexes you see with NFL quarterbacks. Um, 
And so, and I mean, I would say even Hinton Hooker doesn't have that yet. He might develop it with when if he gets to the right system in the pros. But, you know, like I would say like, this is one of my hot takes. I would say like a Peyton Manning, despite being immobile, never really needed an offensive line because he got rid of the ball so quickly. Um, and a lot of, he got credit. He would always get credit for, oh, he never gets sacked. His offensive line is so great. I'm like, no, if you guys watch him, he's getting rid of the ball in two seconds. His offensive line has nothing to do with him not getting sacked. Um, Tom Brady developed that later in his career. Early Tom Brady relied heavily on his line, but like in like 2012, he did a 180 and started getting rid of the ball quick. So I think there are a couple of situations in the pros where there are some, you know, transcendent. I just mean Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Like, okay, that's two and eight in a billion people. Right. <laughs> so, but outside of those, yeah, you probably need an offensive line. Yeah. Well, you see times where offensive line is weak in the pros and quarterbacks go down pretty fast. Like yes. if if you have an offensive line, I think we're watching at New England, Mac Jones just getting destroyed back there. I mean, he's getting yep. destroyed because their offensive line isn't very good. So, I mean, that's cause for injury. So I can't express the importance of the offensive line enough because it is a huge deal. Um, good morning, Bill, and good morning, Joey. Thank you for stopping by and hanging out with us this Friday morning. Um, I think the offensive line is a good investment. And if you want to guard your investments, go to Guardian Investments, where they will help you with your financial strategy and the financial planning and all of that, uh, all the financial needs that you could think of. Guardian Investments is the place for you to go. So let's continue on talking about Tennessee and and NFL draft. And I know we covered Cedric Tillman's going, and I don't think that was a surprise to anybody. Um, but a kind of a surprise to a lot of people is Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt. And not only is he going to the draft, he's opting out of the bowl game. So your, your take on that. Um, obviously I don't blame him. I will say, I think there's more to the story for him to go to the draft because I was a little shocked. I'm going to be honest because he signed that NIL deal last year or last week, excuse me. And I kind of thought that he had more money to make with NIL in college than than um, going to the draft. So I kind of have a theory on this, which is that I think he signed the NIL deal, but he was holding out to see what the quarterback situation would be for Tennessee, whether or not they added one of the transfer portal. I don't think he believes he can keep his draft stock as high playing next year with Joe Milton throwing him the ball. Um, and again, this is – you know, we he, he Joe Milton has a chance to prove me wrong in two weeks in the Orange Bowl. But until he does, I have zero faith in him at quarterback. And I, again, as, as I still like you, Joe, I think you're a great guy. I think he's a great guy. And I, I want to be proven wrong by him. But I got, I got enough, uh, I, enough of a sample size now to know that there's an issue there. And I think Jalen Hyatt's not going to have the year he has, he's had this year. There's also... A lot of people don't know this. There is, well, nobody knows this because I think I'm the only one who's ever figured it out. But um, I think there is a curse of thousand yard receivers coming back for Tennessee. Um, huh. Elaborate. So, so it started in 2001. Um, Dante Stallworth and Kelly Washington. Kelly Washington was a thousand yard receiver. 
was an all-world talent. I mean, we're, we were thinking NFL Hall of Fame with Kelly Washington because he was so – he was 6'4", 225, overwhelmed everybody. So Washington and Stallworth – Washington kind of – Stallworth wanted to come back his senior year and get his, get his education and play another year in 2002. Washington kind of finagled Stallworth into the idea of, no, let's go out into the draft together. Um, Stallworth balled in and entered the draft, and then Washington turns his back on him and decides to come back to Tennessee. And what we kind of realized was Washington wanted Stallworth gone so he could get more catches in 2002 um, to up his draft stock, which was a really, really low move, honestly, on his end. And um, he kind of split apart the team because he was somewhat of a cancer. That 2002 team entered the year ranked number five, finished eight and five, partially due to that, mostly due to Tennessee had a historic level of injuries hit them that year. Um, Washington was among those injuries. He started, I think, the year with like an ankle sprain that slowed him and then played four games and had a concussion that ended his season. And I think he had three separate injuries that year and never lived up to his hype in the NFL. So that was the first thousand yard receiver that was a curse um 2007 lucas taylor well robert meacham was in 2006 but he didn't come back but so 2007 lucas taylor was a thousand yard receiver the next year he was still tennessee's leading receiver but that happened to be the year that david cutcliffe left and dave clausen came in to coach the offense and so the whole offense sputtered and might have killed lucas taylor's draft stock after a thousand yard receiving season because i don't think he was selected in the 2009 draft so there's that. Derek Rogers had to that had a thousand yards in 2011, then got dismissed from the team before the start of the 2012 season. And then there's Cedric Tillman, who had a thousand not who had a thousand yards in 2021, came back, suffered a ankle injury three games in this year, just didn't have the year he wanted this year. So Jalen Hyatt might be wanting to avoid a curse. The only one who actually I think has succeeded coming back was Joey Kent. Joey Kent also had Peyton Manning throwing him the ball. So it's a little bit different. A little bit different, yeah. Yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> I think you're right on the Jalen Hyatt, though, in the quarterback situation. And maybe he's not super comfortable with Joe Milton being the guy. And I hate to say this, but again, right, you're right on his draft. His draft stock's not going to be nearly as high. I think we're all, you know, we can all agree. After the season he had, and he's the Litnikoff winner, like we've looked at the season Addison's had, and he was the Blitnikoff winner the year before that at USC, and it's he's not been nearly as good. Nope. Not at USC as he was at Pitt. So. I agree. When when you hit lightning in a bottle, you kind of need to cash in um, because there's this, and this is just like, sometimes I think in life there's this belief that other opportunities are going to come. You don't know if you're going to have another, like just because you won the Blitnikoff this year does not mean you're going to build on that the next year. And so you cash in when you can. Um, it's kind of like when teams in, in, in sports, particularly the NFL, when they go to the Super Bowl and you sometimes see a little bit of a lax mentality when they're young and they're like, oh, it's our first time in the Super Bowl. We'll be back. It's not a big deal. You may yeah. not be back. <laughs> and so I think that was a lot of people felt that way when Cam Newton lost in 2016. They were like, He's young. He just won the MVP. He'll come back. Well, four years later, he's too banged up to play in the league anymore. And so he never made it back. Same with Dan Marino in 1984. Second year in the league, he went to the Super Bowl. 
never made it back. You win the Blitnikoff, you win the Outland, you win these awards, you win the Heisman. Maybe you should go ahead and go to the pros because it's not likely you are going to repeat what you did the following season. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. Unless unless you're a quarterback and unless you're in a just dynamic offense, like I mean, and even I mean, Bryce Young it didn't repeat, you know, obviously. Yeah, he's not going to repeat that. So, and he's I think probably the best quarterback out there in, I agree. in college. Do you think he may have helped his draft stock this year, though, because he was carrying the team on his back just in a way that I haven't seen in the past with a lot of quarterbacks? I mean, I could see that. I think also a big tangible or an intangible or whatever is the fact that playing under pressure, the fact that he never – like he was cool, calm, collected, <clears throat> under pressure the whole time. I mean, just people, his offensive line could not keep anybody away from him. And he would scramble around and just throw these incredible passes down the field. And and people are going, how is that even possible? Like, how is that even a thing? Like, I don't get it. Because, yeah, Bryce Young definitely carried Alabama this season. I mean, carried Bill O'Brien with him. I agree. That's hard to do. That's hard to do, carrying your offensive coordinator with you maybe kind of the curse too it's like it's like it's like a it's like a it's a curse in disguise because bryce young is saving bill o'brien's job and you guys probably want in alabama probably wants bill o'brien fired <laughs> and so <laughs> every if you look on twitter every time there's an opening um like a head coaching vacancy if you look under the comments people alabama fans will be like Bill O'Brien's available. You should really look at Bill O'Brien. Take a look at Bill O'Brien. Look how oh. good Bryce Young is. Take a look at Bill O'Brien. Because oh, it is so that funny. bad. Like people want him gone so badly. Like it, it's ridiculous. Like my surprise with Hyatt, though, is he just signed that NIL deal with Hyatt. Yeah. Yeah, that was a shock. I I think he thought within the last week that the coach there's more to this story. I think the coaches, I think this is telling that the coaches aren't pursuing a quarterback in the transfer portal, which Dave, Dave, who is obviously off this week has insisted they should do. And he's right. Yeah. I think they're not. And I think because they're not, and I think Hyatt learned that they're not. And I think because he learned, I think he, I think he learned that within the past week. So I think he signed the NIL deal and then changed his mind because he realized they weren't going after a quarterback and he doesn't trust the collection of quarterbacks here. Yeah, and I don't I'm not gonna lie, I don't blame him. But that surprises me about Hypel. You would think that he would, you know, look to another quarterback in the in the transfer portal just because of how how much it could impact his offense. I mean, I understand he knows he's got Milton, but you don't put blind faith in in one one option as a coach. I think Josh Heupel's putting more faith in Joe Milton than he should from the start. Um, and I think he has an affinity for Milton that he should not have. Um, so just for people to know a little bit of history here in 2017, when Heupel was still offense coordinator at Missouri, he recruited Milton to Missouri hard. He tried to get Milton to go to Missouri. Milton obviously ended up not going. Heupel went to take the job at UCF all everything worked out um when he took over at tennessee 
he had Hendon Hooker, Harrison Bailey, Brian Maurer, and Kadon Salter. None of these people he recruited. He went out of his way to sign to get signed Hendon Hooker to sign Joe Milton as a transfer out of Michigan. Now, Michigan fans, go read the Michigan message boards. They were not fans of Milton. The, the issues that we have seen with Milton, they had problems with too. And okay. Hypo listened to nobody, went and signed him, and then immediately made him name him the starter. I I I, I don't last August, um, I did not think that was a fair quarterback competition. I didn't think Hendon Hooker, Harrison Baylor, Brian Maurer were getting a fair shake. I feel like Hypo was always going to start Milton. Um and we see immediately that was a huge mistake because two games in, he realized, you know, Milton gets hurt. Hooker comes in. Hooker just falls out. Runs Heibel's offense better than any quarterback has ever run run Heibel's offense. And I get the whole practice versus game mentality, but, like, I don't think it's, like, an in-game issue with Milton. He's just not accurate. And Heibel had to see that in, in the preseason. And yeah. so – I don't I just think he's got a bias to Milton that's 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 kind of destructive, honestly. Do you think it's dangerous that he's so I I I agree with you because we've seen I think we've seen enough from Milton to know that maybe he's not the answer. Right. And I don't know what Hypel's seeing. Maybe Milton's a good practice quarterback. Maybe he's just not a good game quarterback. Yeah, but we were, you know, we were talking with Landry, uh, must've been about a week ago. And the only reason I'm thrown off by that is like the accuracy issues aren't like, because he's messing up in a game. There are like massive problems with his fundamentals and the way he throws. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would assume Heifel seeing that in practice too. And so that's what kind of threw me off. And it, there's no way he saw Hooker and Milton in practice and Milton was more accurate than Hooker downfield. Hooker's not the most accurate quarterback, but he's got a, much prettier deep ball than Milton has. Yeah. And if you want to take a, a look at good quarterbacks, do it while you have a beer in your hand from Zul Beer Company downtown, uh, Knoxville, East Fifth Avenue. Best beer in town, hands down. If you like sours, IPAs, even a Mexican lager, really, really, really good. Uh, we have a comment from CJ says his affinity for Milton is similar to the Dabo affinity for the guy that I can't pronounce from Clemson. Oh, that's DJ. True. You're right. Yeah, and that's a good, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's not the first time either. Cause Dabo had an affinity for Cole Stout. That's a name to throw you back uh, between the transition from Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson in 2014, Clemson went 10 and three. That was probably the worst team of that 10 year run they had. And that was because he was so loyal to Cole Stout for staying around. I get it, but whatever you think of him character-wise, Deshaun Watson was a better quarterback in 2014 than Cole Stout was, and he should have been starting then. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. I mean, look at what – I don't even know who Cole Stout is. So (laughs) (laughs) probably a good indication that he was not the best best choice. I think that it's dangerous. I think that there are some – you know, there are some coaches that have that just get affinities for these for these players and I actually commend Nick Saban on not doing that with Jalen Hurts. As much as Jalen Hurts is, you know, talented and and I think a lot of what we're seeing today is because he went through the whole, you know, hey, you were good enough the year before, you're not this year kind of thing. I mean, I 
I could see with his character just having an affinity for him and just wanting him to be your starter just because of who he is, you know, but then doing what's best for the team and saying, okay, our better chance to win is Tua and not Mm -hmm. Jalen. So I think that's huge for a coach. And I think that's something that maybe Hypel could try to mimic in this situation. Yeah. Also, um, help Jalen Hurts too, because I, I got to be honest, if he had stayed at Alabama, I don't think he would have been developed for the NFL. Um, not that Brian Dabble wasn't a great offensive coordinator. He is. Um, but Jalen Hurts was so athletic that in college, they kind of dabbled, be safe, taught him the, you know, if your first read's not there, take off and run. Yep. And so Jalen goes to play for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma for one year. And Lincoln Riley's office is very similar to Mike. Uh, to Josh Heupel's offense where they kind of spread the ball around. So it hurts actually learn how to go through progressions a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, I think I, I agree. And I think Heupel could learn a little bit. I, I, you know, I go to the NFL sometimes hardcore Titans fan lifelong, and I'm not pretending that Vince Young didn't have his issues. He had some serious issues that I don't think he was cut out for the NFL, but let's not pretend that he had no help from Jeff Fisher. And that whatsoever in dealing with those. And Jeff Fisher was way too loyal to Kerry Collins in 2009 and 2010. And then there was Rex Ryan who would not bench Mark Sanchez for anything. I know. And do you remember the tattoo that people are saying was uh, Mark Sanchez on Rex yes. Ryan's arm? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so weird. Like you're not going to bench Mark Sanchez, but you're going to bring in Tim Tebow, which you know is going to like complete create a controversy. Just it was so obvious they were trying to steal headlines with that move. And... Yeah. Well, now we see Rex Ryan is completely in you know the spotlight and on NFL and all that stuff because now he's a talking head, which I think yeah. was pretty much everything that he should aspire to be. I think that's his best role to date. Yes, that is true. It's being, being a talking head. All right, so Caleb, let's take a look at the top quarterbacks in the transfer portal now. And okay. who do you think would be the best fit for Tennessee? So I'm going from uh, 247 Sports. They did a top 10 ranking, and it's actually updated for yesterday. So that's that's good because some of these quarterbacks may not be here anymore. But this this list is good. So at number one, they have Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. I've heard a lot of good things circling about him. What say you, Caleb? Well, I will say um, was definitely well coached. Jamie Chadwell is a heck of a football coach. Um, very Hendon Hooker-esque, by the way, by the way, with Grayson McCall, because his touchdown interception ratio is basically like 10 or 11 to 1. Um, this year, mm-hmm. he... He threw 24 touchdowns and two interceptions, um, averaged over nine yards of completion. I mean, his stats like almost line up with hookers, not as much rushing wise, but he can run the ball. Um, about when, when he was a freshman, he ran for 569 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, I think he's just been a little bit more, more of a, as he's gotten older, he's focused more on being a drop back passer, but he still ran for five touchdowns this year, but that would be a good one. And Grace McCall has good size. He's 6'3", 210. Um, so, you know, that that's that would definitely be an intriguing pickup. Um, you know, that funny enough, t- Tennessee, a lot of Tennessee fans wanted Jamie Chadwell to be the one that was hired in 20, um, uh, I 
2021 when Josh Heupel got the job. They preferred Jamie Chadwell. Um, I think Jamie Chadwell had run into some issues in the past when he was recruiting wise, when I think he was at ETSU or Delta state or somewhere. Um, and I think that was a problem, but you know, it's that, that would be an intriguing one. I mean, I, I definitely think so too. Um, so their number two is Devin Leary from North Carolina state. Uh, I know North Carolina state starting off this season was, was hyped up for, you know, everyone was all about it. I never bought into it just because it's North Carolina state, you know, and of course I'm going to, the blue blood thing plays a part in this, but I just, I didn't buy into the NC state kind of thing. So how do you feel about Devin Leary? He was the ACC's preseason player of the year. He started six games for the Wolfpack before season ending shoulder injury. Yeah. He's, go ahead. So Devin Leary like was great in 2021, um, but his offensive coordinator was Tim Beck, and that's more. Um, Tim Beck runs more of the Urban Meyer spread. I don't know if Devin Leary could transition from that to Josh Heupel's system. They're just different systems. Not the Josh Heupel system is hard to pick up. Any quarterback could really pick it up. I just think Devin Leary is a better fit for, um, for someone who runs more of the spread than this gear and shoot air raid we haven't he hasn't been tested in this type of offense yet so i i would i would actually go grayson mccall over devin leary even though devin leary is tested at a higher level higher is relative you and i both agree acc outside of two teams is mostly garbage as a conference so that they they're barely the sun belt after the after the top two yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, before we finish this list, I know we have Coach Landry waiting, and we are going to go to a break for two minutes. And then we come back, we'll include Coach Landry on this because we'll get the uh, the coach's point of view on all of these uh, quarterbacks. So we'll be back in two minutes. And has risen to the highest level in over 40 years, according to the April 2022 U.S. Inflation Calculator. Will your investments provide you the income you need in retirement? Are you losing purchasing power of your savings due to inflation? Simply stated, if the cost of goods and services are 8% higher and you're only earning 4% in your investments, that money buys you less of what you need. Right now is the time to act. Call Guardian Investment Advisors today. Hey folks, Gary Viles here. I want to personally invite you to North Knoxville's newest sports bar and restaurant. It's Big Orange Phillies, located in Black Oak Center. And yes, folks, it's happening in halls. Big Orange Phillies offers family-friendly environment with homemade meals and the best deli-style subs around. Billiards, darts, jukebox, shuffleboard, and cornhole, and a full bar. We also offer valet parking on weekends and during special events. We even have a covered back patio. It's happening at Big Orange Phillies. We want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. This is Al's Disc Barbecue Supply, so come on in. See all the different rubs and sauces we have, plus a complete line of Green Mountain Grills. Don't be overwhelmed. We have plenty of help, so you can produce the best barbecue in a maze for family and friends. Barbecue is America's food. 
we'll do what we can to bring you all the best products. We're Al's Nest Barbecue, but Chattanooga goes to grill. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> Coach Landry, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Cannot complain over here. So we're going through the uh, top 10 quarterbacks in the transfer portal rankings by 247 Sports. And we're looking at, we're pretty sure that Josh Heupel is, has an affinity for Joe Milton. And we're thinking maybe that had to do with, Caleb's thinking that had to do with Jalen Hyatt's decision to go ahead and go to the NFL. So we're looking at these quarterbacks and we're seeing who would be the best fit at Tennessee if if it should so happen that one of these quarterbacks fall their way. So uh, at number one, we have Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. What are your thoughts, Coach Landry? Um, very good quarterback. I think he's going to be highly um, touted. I think that, um, you know, Auburn is a strong possibility for him. There's a few others. So, uh, yeah, no, I think he's really good. Uh, I think he's very cerebral. Um, I think he's, you know, very accurate. I think he places the ball very well. So, yeah, I think he's he's a good player. I don't think he's dynamic, but I think he's good at running an offense and is a plug-and-play guy that can help you. I, I think he wants to get a starting role, and I think to your point, that's what he's going to look at, where – all of these guys are going to look at that. Where Where is the, the best chance to start? So uh, if it is true and, you know, with Joe Milton and, you know, you're looking at what type of real opportunity I'm going to get to earn the starting job as opposed to being a backup. So, What are your thoughts on Joe Milton and his ability to start? Do you think that he's ready or do you think we'll see a lot of his problems surface? Well, I mean, I think he's – Obviously, the big advantage he has, he's been in that system for a while. So it's it's important, while it's not uh, overly complex, they don't do a lot of things. It's about quickness of decisions, and that just requires repetitions in, pra in practice. So he's been there a lot, and so he's got a big advantage. So even though guys experience somewhere else, coming in and, and getting quickly acclimated is, is a challenge. So he's got that. I think the the other issues with him, particularly as it relates to like the deep ball and, and other routes, particularly deep ball, is not as accurate as Hendon Hooker, um, which Hendon was really good on the deep ball, not as good across the middle. And, and, and I think Milton is a guy with a gun for an arm, uh, quick release, uh, get it there quickly, but but not as consistently accurate. Now, people always ask me, can you improve accuracy? There are things you can improve. You know, it's a lot about anticipation. It's a lot about, you know, footwork. And But but there's some things with accuracy that you really can improve. And it's it's kind of you, you, you are or you're, or you're not. So, yes, you can improve it, but can you dramatically improve it? That's where I would have a little bit of concern about putting all my eggs in his basket as him being the answer because this is not an offense that's built around – 
um, other options to be successful. The quarterback has to be really on point or else it's a, it's a pretty average offense and a pretty average team, quite frankly, at, at this point. All right. So let's go to number two on the list. Devin Leary from NC State. What are your thoughts on him? Well, the big thing is is healthy. I, I like him a lot, but and he's been really good when he's been healthy. But you've got to look at the health, and I don't think he's going to even be throwing until like maybe March. I haven't got a medical update. So you're taking a lot of – you're having to factor that in. Um, he's certainly the guy that I think most people are, are most intrigued by, but, again, concerned about the health. Could – um. Could Leary make a transition from Tim Beck's, which I think is more of like Urban Meyer's spread offense, to Josh Heupel's system? How easy is that transition? What are some of the differences to, between those two offenses? Well, he's, he's, but. yeah, you know, he he could. He can play in a, in a few different systems. I mean, he's he's a pretty good passer. He's got mobility. There's no question that, that they employ him more in the run game than, than Josh normally does. But I think that's – that's a real positive in that those are things that I think you can do, particularly in the red zone and short yardage. So I think it, it, he can transition. I think the the biggest issue is just, you know, you're taking, you're going to bring a guy in and you know, he's not going to have a lot of reps early. I mean, you know, the off season program, where is he health wise? I think that's going to be the biggest drawback with him. All right, and let's move on to, and I can't say his last name. It's DJ from Clemson. Yu Yunglele, yeah. Yeah. Not a, not a, uh, you know, I think think he's, first of all, he's going to end up in the West Coast, maybe at UCLA, a a spot there. That's where he's back home, and I think he kind of needs to be rebuilt. Not a very confident guy, so certainly not a fit for Tennessee. All right. And let's move on to Hudson Card of Texas, which is very intriguing to me. But I understand because there were some rumors floating around before the season started that he was going to be the guy. And then the boosters got a hold of Sark and said, no, we want Quinn Ewers. I don't know if those are true. It's just rumors floating around. Um, But him transferring out, I understand, but it's a surprise to me. Well, he's outstanding. And, you you know, Ewers is just, you know, he really kind of took the bull by the horns and in practice, that's kind of really what, what wanted over there in Texas. And then, you know, they've got Arch Manning, you know, that is, you know, going to sit and, you know, be their future behind Quinn Hures, who's probably going to start again next year. So Hudson's kind of a, looking for a home. He's a guy that's really intriguing because he's young. He's got a lot of ability and you can kind of build your future around. So he's a, He's is he the guy that comes in right away and can just hit the ground running? Um, I think perhaps, but I think it's he's a little bit more of you like to get a hold on to him if you're a team that's kind of rebuilding and this could be not only your starting quarterback but a really really good one. So this is this is a guy that if he was in the recruiting class you'd say he's a five star guy. He's got that type of ability. All right, and let's look at Luke Altmeyer from Ole Miss. Yeah, Luke um, obviously didn't win the job there. Um, he's got some ability, got some dual threat capabilities, not as consistent as you would like, but, uh, you know, yeah, he'll definitely find a home somewhere. Um, 
I would think it, it he might have to go down a, a level a bit, though. That's kind of what I'm feeling. So it's, you know, maybe um, an AAC, Conference USA type of program, I think. Um, or else he's going to be competing with, you know, the bigger time program to, for, for playing time. All right. And Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. Jeff is a dual threat guy that is not a real uh, – he's not as good of a passer, so he wouldn't be a fit, like, for example, at a place like Tennessee. But I think he's a dynamic playmaker that um, people are going to be looking looking at really heavily. I, I thought that um, he did some good things at Tech, but I think he got some limitations as a passer with him. Okay, and let's – Number seven, Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. Yeah, Brennan had a really disappointing year. Um, obviously, the, the tragedy at Virginia, they they didn't play the last couple of games of the season. Uh, he was a guy that you think about the ACC. Nobody had more top-level quarterbacks going into the season this past year than the ACC. And quite frankly, most all of them just had bad seasons or bad luck. You know, Larry's one of them. DJU's one of them. But Phil Jakovic of Boston College is one of them. Brennan Armstrong is another one. Um, I, I, obviously, you know, Wake's quarterback had a really good year to the very end. I mean, North Carolina's quarterback was outstanding all year long to the very end. I mean, just just an intriguing year. But um, I think that, um, you know, Brennan is a, a physically gifted guy. He's got dual threat capabilities, um, and I think he's got – I've heard a lot of Notre Dame with him and a couple of other places, so I don't think it's uh, it, it's kind of where he's thinking, but he's he's going to be an intriguing guy. All right, and at number eight, we have Malik Hornsby from Arkansas. Yeah, he's he is a an athlete, runner, not much of a passer, so look for him in a place um, – I, I mean, I thought – Actually, he was in a pretty good fit there at Arkansas and what uh, Kendall Browse tries to do. So he's probably going to have to go a level down and, and be that running quarterback that's going to be um, uh, run the zone read stuff and, and uh, run a lot of RPOs uh, that uh, utilize his run skills. Because if you're not utilizing his run skills, you're that's what he does best. I mean, he's really a, an athlete that makes a lot of plays in the run game. All right, and, and number nine, Mikey Keene of UCF. Yeah, um, he's the was a backup guy there who played some, obviously, when John Rice Plumley got injured. Um, you know, I don't. Uh, I think he's a guy that probably has to stay at that that group of five level or better, uh, a, a group of five level or or, or below. Um, you know, he did a pretty good job running Gus's offense when, um, when when John Rice came out. But that was a, that, you know, that was a big drop off because I thought John Rice Plumley's playmaking ability was was a whole lot better. So the probably the most surprising name on this list for me, and the most interesting is number ten is Keaton Slovis from Pitt. And I know that's somebody that Tennessee is familiar with considering, you know, the game this season. Yeah, you know, Keaton has kind of bounced around a little bit, not quite as much as JT Daniels, but he's 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 bounced around trying to find a home. Um, 
you know, highly recruited guy, got a lot of uh, passing skills. He's kind of intriguing to me. What I don't know is I don't know the young man well enough. Um, I would be intrigued into talking with him and kind of seeing where his head is, where his confidence level is, where his, um, his, his you know, kind of test him a little bit on the board. Um, but he's intriguing physically to me that <clears throat> he can do some of the things uh, as a passer, but not a lot of consistency. Yeah. All right. That's the top 10. Caleb, I know that you had a question for Coach Landry um, and that kind of an X's and O's standpoint. Yeah, Coach, I wanted to do a little bit of a transition. Um, you said, you know, we, we it was awful. We were talking about Mike. Leach the other day, and you talked about how Steve Spurrier Jr. would probably call the plays at Mississippi State for the bowl game. I saw Zach Arnett was named head coach, defensive coordinator. And kind of on a transition, like a thought kind of got into my head with if Steve Spurrier Jr. was calling the plays, which is the fun and gun versus the air raid. Um, what are some of the differences? Why did the fun and gun not take off the way the air, it seems like the air rates taken over the big 12. Basically, it seems like Spurrier was always the only one who ran the fun and gun in the nineties. And is there a possible way to combine those two pass heavy schemes that creative in a way that maybe no one's done before? Well, Steve Spurrier Jr. is really not a, Steve Spurrier Jr. learned under, um, the air raid system. So he's not really just because his dad ran it. Uh, the differences really um, are probably not as great as people might think. I mean, it's basically all Steve did in, 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 well, everybody gets tied into the name and the names really don't mean anything. It's, it's really about how you spread the field and, uh, running a lot of three and four wides is what Steve did, and that's what the air rate does. The, the biggest difference is um, there's a lot more design routes pre-snap in the in the Florida offense, the Steve Spur offense, whereas the air raid, there's very limited routes, but there, the, what you run is not called pre-snap it's based upon the coverages. So obviously the, the whole key is the keys of it is post snap. Whereas a lot of what Steve Spurrier ran was a lot of pre-snap stuff, but the fundamentals of getting, um, you know, there is vertically, I thought Steve worked vertically a little bit more. The air raid will go vertical. That's a big part of what they do, but they work underneath very well. Steve did too. That the, the Spurrier offense was uh, a lot more run-based than people knew. When they were really good, it's because they ran the football very well, and they also played very good defense. So what they did is they got a lot of matchups with the spread system against really um, the third receiver against safeties, which in college football, those guys couldn't cover for the longest time. So the biggest reason why – that system, quote unquote, it wasn't so much a system that Steve Spurrier ran. It was, we're going to run more spread and we're going to get better matchups. Well, over time, people adjust to that. So they get more guys in the secondary that can cover. So instead of having the slow safety guy covering a slot and he gets beat and you got, 
God love him, Chris Doring catching a million balls because nobody could cover him and, and he couldn't run out of, you know, couldn't run out of sight. But, you know, as the game changes and evolves, then, you know, that whole, you know, like he, like when he went into the NFL, he didn't have any success with it because they had more guys that could cover. So his was more player-based, Steve Spurrier, whereas the air raid, it's more about we're going to throw it where the defense isn't. Well, where is the defense going to be? We're going to read that post-snap, and we're going to get to the open spot, and the quarterback has to throw it to a spot. And so that's the main difference, which is why, you know, you don't really run Spurrier style. What you, the, he didn't have a – he had a style. He didn't have a scheme, I guess is the best way to describe it. It's just we're, we're going to get guys – Steve was the first guy that basically threw it a whole bunch in the SEC in a running league. So there's always that first. It's kind of like what BYU did in the day nationally when no one was throwing it a lot. They threw it a lot. Whereas the air raid is more, particularly the way that Mike ran it, was more of a system of we don't care to throw the foot, we don't care to run the football. We're going to throw it. Now my uh, my feeling with Mike is always was, you know, that he he didn't do enough with the running game. He he despised the running game. Mike did. He just despised it. Um, it's one of the round and rounds we had in a in a loving way, but that. You know, I think his scheme, though, if you look at everybody, nobody runs the air raid like Mike ran it. Love him. They're guys that run it better. Lincoln Riley runs it better. Why? He's taken the concepts of the air raid, and he's incorporated a lot of other things, like the running game that's matched off of that. That's why most of there's only Graham Harrell, who, by the way, is going? I uh, found out this morning he's going to Purdue to to be with Ryan Walters. Um, that's the closest thing to Mike's air raid, the pure air raid, where it's you know we're gonna just the, the heck with the run, we're we're gonna throw it, and so that's the main difference. Why you know, everybody says, well, everybody's running the air raid. Well, everybody's running some elements of the air raid. Nobody really runs the way Mike did it. Because quite frankly, as successful as Mike was, Mike was stubborn, again, lovingly saying it, stubborn in his way about this is what we're going to do. Whereas football is not a game of scheme. It's about evolving to utilize players. And so they're doing the same thing on the defensive side of the ball, trying to match what you're doing on offense. So you've got to modify that. You've got to say, well, as they do this, we've got to do that. And so where Mike was a little bit more of, I don't care what they're doing. We're going to do it this way type, which worked and it worked very well to a point, but others I think have maybe taken that scheme, which he's built upon and done better. That's the essence of football. There's no real original thoughts. I mean, a lot of the basic concepts about air raid and all of that, and they reinvented football. It's really not. It's just a different way. You can go back to, to Sid Gilman in the days of the early AFL and a lot of the stuff he was doing. Don Coriel, the probably the the modern father of the passing game with the route trees and everything. Those are all derivatives. So everything just kind of comes from it. It's kind of like, you know, saying, going on a car lot and say somebody invented a car. No, everybody has a car. 
you know, it's just how they do it. It looks a little different. It's now it's now the new things. It's hybrids. It's electrical. It's it's SUVs. It's pickups. It's it's all sorts of things. It's big SUVs, whatever you call them. So it's all it's not like, well, this scheme, let's do this. Because that scheme is not going to work if that's what only you're what you're going to do. If you don't have the ability to modify it and do it, it's it's kind of like cooking, right? Too. I mean, you got to mix a little of this, mix a little of that, and you know everybody's chili is great, but they none of them taste the same, right? Gumbo, where I'm from, you know. So that's the basic thing of football, and so a lot of it is just evolving. So, like for example, what Steve did at South Carolina was evolved from some of the stuff differently that he did at Florida that people adjusted to. That's, that's the essence of coaching. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that. Oh, sorry, Amanda, were you going to say something? You're fine. Go ahead. No, you're I, fine. I was going to say, it's funny you say that. Cause the more I think about it, when I think back on Florida of the nineties, you're right. It's, it was underrated about his use of the running backs. I remember the running backs names more than I remember the receivers. I remember Ernest Graham and Fred Taylor and Terry Jackson, whereas it seems like the receivers were almost, nameless athletes that were lined up on the outside and that could spread the ball. Yeah. And, and it, cause he, he was just said, well, we're not going to be afraid to throw it. We're going to throw it and we're going to attack you and you're going to have to come up and defend the run. And then, like I said, we're going to get you match up cause we're going three wide, sometimes four. And who do you have? That's, that's a third and fourth cover guy that can match up with our guy. Well, the answer was nobody, <laughs> You know, yeah. so that's where they, they really attacked you. It's like, well, this guy can run faster than that guy, and we're going to find a way to get him the football. Whereas, well, what do you do? You evolve and you say, well, we're going to get more athletic. You know, it's just uh, Alabama. I mean, look at, um, you know, there's they'd have, a you know, safeties that look like Mark Barron that were like linebackers that could defend the run. Well, then, well, everybody's throwing the football now, right? So – all your safeties have to be like cover guys, maybe like bigger corners because you can't have a in the box safety trying to cover guys deep. So that's what coaching is, is being able to say, well, we're going to match what they're doing. It's kind of, and it's, and it's always, it's, you know, it's like um, the West coast offense, which is a big moniker. Well, Bill Walsh, how he ran the West coast offense was a lot different than his Mike Holmgren, went in and, and rent, but then he deviated from it. He didn't use the fullback as much. He did other things. Well, then one of the, the reason why the West coast offense, the, the name, or it, it's not the name, but the reason why that the quick three-step passing game was basically designed to, to go up against the 46 defense, the bears defense where they were putting uh, defenders over both guards in the center and they were pushing the pocket and getting to the quarterback. Well, the ball had to come out quick. It didn't have success in the seven-step drop. So, boom, it was like, all right, we're going to get Joe Montana on a three-step drop. Well, Bill Walsh had done this at Cincinnati. He lost his quarterback, and so he had a quarterback that wasn't as successful as throwing the football. So they, they moved the pocket. They ran boots and everything because that worked it worked to fit the player and it's like, wow, this is great offense. Well, you know, uh, in modern day, probably one of the best that's doing it's Kyle Shanahan. It's why Brock Purdy's having success. There's a lot of talent around them, but they're make they're simplifying it. So yeah, it's taking what you have and fitting things that are going to work, which is why if you have a scheme, 
you got to find the players and you're rigid with your scheme. You got to find the players that fit that scheme. And then if you don't have the ability to adjust what people do against you, then you're going to be limited. You're going to have a lower ceiling. And then what happens if you don't have that quarterback or that, that, that missing piece to fit that scheme on offense or defense? Well, then what are you going to do? I worked for Bill Orange Parker. I learned he invented the, the, the three, four defense. He didn't just say, you know what? We're going to run a three, four. We're going to put three defensive linemen. He had, he had a defensive end that was injured. So he took a linebacker and he says, we're going to stand him up and we're going to rush him. Sometimes we're going to bring the other guy. And there became the three, four defense. It wasn't like, yeah, let's just, in the, it, it was necessities, the motherhood of invention. That's, that's kind of, kind of what it comes out to. All right, I just want to say uh, good morning, Orange Blood, and good morning, Lex. Uh, she says good morning to, or he, I don't know. Lex is a is a word. Um, it's a name. Good morning, Amanda, Chris, and Caleb. Morning. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. I want to shift to something that I've been hearing a lot of, and I'm sure you have in the NFL circles. Um, Todd McShay came out. And said, basically, well, I'll give you the quote Mm -hmm. um, on Jalen Carter of Georgia. said, with Carter, there are some character issues. Does he get along with everybody? What's he like to deal with in the locker room? Those sort of issues. I know it's early in the process, but I'm forewarning everybody out there. Carter is going to be a hot button name when we talk about some of the intangible aspects of it. Now, people, Georgia fans and players took to Twitter to defend Jalen Carter. Now there's some talk. Is this, does he really have character issues? Cause it doesn't seem like he does from what I've been reading with the, his giving back to, you know, the school that he was from and, and having a camp and stuff like that. Does it, does the NFL do some politicking sometimes? Is is this put out there sometimes to drop a player down for a certain team? Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. First of all, uh, I don't want to say this. I want to be rude. But those guys that, that do this stuff on TV, they're not scouts. Um, they, they're like any other media person that just covers a beat, so to speak. They're not evaluators. So they get information and then they talk about guys and, you know, and whatever. A couple of things. Um, As a scout, you hear a lot of things about a lot of players. I, I don't repeat them because I don't know if they're true. And very often they're not true. There's a lot of things that get said. Um, We don't know who told, I mean, I don't think this, uh, Todd is is uh, making it up. Somebody's saying it, but you don't repeat this stuff. Certainly not on TV, in my view, because you have to substantiate it. Again, to your point, Amanda, could be being used with information, and I, I deal with that whether it's the draft stuff, whether it's coaching search stuff. It's I don't repeat stuff because again. If it's secondhand, you don't know if it's true. So I, I just don't get into that. Um, so if I come across stuff that I know 
and I even know to be true based upon people that need to know and inside there, it's still not something that I'm going to repeat because you have to thoroughly research it. For example, this is 40 years of experience. A coach will say whatever about a player inside a building. Mostly it's good stuff. Not only talk to the head coach, you talk to the coordinator, the position coach. If it's a player on the offensive side, the ball, I I, want to see what a defensive coach is. I, if you know these guys very well, they're going to be honest with you. So, like, if Nick Saban tells me something, um, people assume what he's only going to say positive stuff. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, there's some that do that. But if they always say positive stuff and they cover up bad stuff about a player, it's going to hurt them because when they turn around the next year or the next time and talk about a player who really is all those good things – you don't believe them because the credibility is lost. But the whole point of it is I'm not going to repeat that publicly. So if he says something about a guy and he has a certain way of saying it, other coaches have certain ways of saying it, you kind of know what they mean. But you don't repeat that because that's not a good thing to have out there. Two, uh, I've had coaches will have an opinion of a player that he's not a really good guy. And I go and I visit another coach on the staff that doesn't agree with that at all. It may be these coaches are like people like anybody else. It's like, okay, so one coach doesn't like them or one scout doesn't is heard stuff about a guy doesn't like them. Well, did you ask everybody in the building? Did you talk to the coordinator? Did you talk to the strength coach? Did you talk to the strainer? Did you talk to the equipment manager? Did you talk to the academic advisor? Those are all things you need to do and you need to know um, before I make a decision, before I would even mention it in a private staff meeting, a scouting meeting, much less on TV. Because I think it's very dangerous in today's world that you throw stuff out there and then we don't know if it's true or not. And again, there's going to be that belief of it. That every information about any player, their work ethic, how they're perceived in the locker room will be unearthed in time. But to throw it out there puts a puts a stigma attached that doesn't belong there. And the bad part is that there are people, there are people in the media and then their fans that believe this stuff because this guy on TV said it when he doesn't know. I guarantee you he doesn't know. He hasn't been inside the Georgia program. He doesn't know. He hasn't heard that from anybody. Somebody in the NFL told him that. But who told him? Could be some guy that's an intern in a a football office somewhere. And, again, are you going to go with that? That, to me, is – now, don't know. And, again – if it's true, you've got to figure that out over a more exhaustive research effort that I know clearly hadn't done. So he's just spitballing, and it's one of the things that um, that a lot of in that in that business, a lot of people in the the media business, a lot of it they're they're encouraged by producers or whatever to say something provocative. You know, that's gonna because you know what? What is everybody doing now? Talking about him? You know, the 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 guy saying it. You know, so mm-hmm. 
uh, they're going to get all their clicks and all their views and all that. And they, they don't look at all the hatred stuff as negative. That's, that's people clicking. Right. And again, whether it's true or not, I, you know, that, that is to be determined by more than just somebody who's on the outside hearing scuttlebutt, hearing rumors, that's going to be unearthed by people that truly know. I I've been involved in that. I've been, you know, where you're dealing with players that have character issues, but what are they? So I didn't get along with players. Uh, excuse me. I mean, there's like, you pick any locker room, Tennessee's are in there. They're, they're 30 players that don't get along with, <laughs> Hey, there's a lot of people don't get along. Doesn't make you bad, you know, or your problem, or, you know, it's, can I trust you? Can you work hard? There are a lot of people that, don't like players on the team. It's just, it's just, it's human nature. If that were the case, you'd be eliminating a lot of folks. So there, you know, is there something more there? We'll determine that through the proper channels, not by some guy that's just saying stuff that he he's repeating what he heard. So coach Landry, from a scout's perspective, how bad when these rumors start coming up and I know it's talking head, so it doesn't mean mm-hmm. as much, um, but how bad can that affect someone's draft stock? Like if you if you hear something or if even if there's something that's solidified that, okay, this guy is this or this, how bad could that tank their draft stock? As well, far as yeah, the, the rumors, like I can tell you, nobody in football cares about what uh, Todd or Kuiper or any of those guys say. Um, but the public does maybe in – here, here's how it works. So if you're, if, if you're in a meeting or, or, or you're talking and there's something that comes out in the media about a player, well, then, you know, we'll say, we'll look and say, do we know anything about any of this, any of our information, you know, corroborate any of this stuff and these rumors? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or nay. We're going to know a lot more information then they're going to ever know. Again, they're getting information from people that are telling them what they want him to repeat. So, you know, but you still hear stuff and you want to make sure that stuff is not something that you don't want to be surprised. So you thoroughly vet it. Uh, is it going to affect them? Well, sure, it's going to affect them if it's true and they're real problems. It's The rumors are not going to affect it. Um, Look, when a Laramie Tunsil situation takes place where he's caught on a – somebody drops it the, the night of the draft. Remember he had the – what do you mm-hmm. call those marijuana things with the with the, the bulb or whatever? The face uh, mask. Uh, and, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. I'm so corny. I, you know, I don't know what yeah. that stuff is. But, well, then obviously that was a surprise. I mean, so that – he dropped. Well, he's – and I'm not condoning it. Guy's been one hell of a player. So, you know, you got to you, – did it scare people off? No question. I had a situation where I was bombarded um, because I knew the kid. Lyle Collins, I don't know if you remember, he was a he was a really good player at LSU, an offensive lineman. Tragically, his ex-girlfriend got murdered the week of the draft. And he had – it was an ex-girlfriend. He had – 
he had not seen her. He had obviously nothing to do with any of it. But the fact that it, and the police questioned him, not as a suspect, but to try to find out and figure out, you know, okay, when's the last time you seen her and all the stuff that they do. And it, well, that became, I mean, we're talking about a guy that probably going in the second round. He went undrafted. Uh, that you talk about a big, big deal. And of course he's been with the Cowboys struggle with injuries or what have you. So real stuff can absolutely have an effect. The rumors that people are talking about that, you know, people are saying, well, this is going to cause nobody cares about what these yahoos say about this or that. Cause they know that they don't know, but it absolutely can have an effect if it's real and you know stuff, but you don't base it off of the hearsay. You base it off of knowing a lot more information uh, that you're going to get from creditable information that you vet it because you just you just can't do it. And, you know, pe- this is why scouting is not just about evaluating, but about connections in sources. It's in a lot of cases like being a, re- a reporter in this sense, except you don't report it. You just report it in your meeting and it doesn't get public. So when you have a lot of connections over 20, 30 years, see coaches change, but very rarely does a trainer trainers usually there for a long time. The equipment manager is there for, so you get to know guys and you can go and, you know, a a coach, for example, is not going to sit there in a group of 10 scouts and lay out dirty laundry. But if I go around and say, Hey, Caleb, Hello, Amanda, you know, Amanda's, you know, working there and and I've known Amanda for 20 years or whatever, you know, and I know that she is in contact. Let's say she's the academic advisor or whatever, you know, and she knows what I'm going to do with the information and protect her and respect her. And same with you, Caleb, or whatever. And I find out that information, I'm going to find out the real story and the background and what, what the guy's really like. And that's what really matters because there, there's a lot of things. There's no um, choir boys, you know, very rare are there choir boys. There are a lot of, lot of things that you got to sort through and you got to determine the severity of it. You know, it's a difference between being a criminal versus somebody that's dumb enough to do something like pull a fire alarm in a dorm room. That's a prank, which is stupid and could potentially be harmful, but kind of boys will be boys type thing. So just on this on this topic do you know of any time that the nfl or or someone in the nfl whether it be an owner a gm what have you has played politics with a player's future just put something out there like that tunsil thing dropping when it did was yeah that was a that was a that was a uh competing agent that did that wow Um, but so yes you have that you have teams that look absolutely I mean, I'm not – I would never put out bad stuff. And I would never s- start stuff like that. But if I'm sitting there with no chance of getting Jalen Carter and I've done my work and I'm very comfortable with him and he could drop to me at, say, the eighth pick as opposed to going in the top five, um, I sure would like that. I mean, I sure would like that to happen. Uh, am I going to start something? No. But if somebody says something like, well, I hear that, you know, I, I always say, oh, yeah, you know, I won't. Again, 
I'm not in a position to say, nor would I say, that's not true. Uh, that's a lie. Because they may have more information. You know what I mean? Or, it, 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 or they may have bad information. It's not my place to say your information is bad. Your information is wrong. Your information is good. Your information is your information. Mm-hmm. Mine is, I'm very confident in what I've got. I'm very comfortable in what I have. Um, so I just, I play dumb, which is pretty easy for me. So it's, yeah. Um, and, and just kind of let that go. But yeah, you, you know, there, there's no question. Look, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like to do stuff with players character. So I've never said that, but I have, you know, floated other ideas out there. Like for example, the year I drafted Eddie George in Tennessee, um, I never lied to anybody, but when people would ask in the media, which I didn't talk to a whole lot, but I kind of was willing to, if they asked about the running backs, I might talk up Tim Biaka Batuka a lot more than I would Eddie George because I liked Eddie George more. So I kind of talked that up and – and, you know, people that that kind of followed us thought that we liked maybe Bianca Batuka more than Eddie George when we really did. Well, it helped us because we were able to move down in the draft and still get Eddie George. And in the fourth round, I was still uh, – I was blessed to be able to draft John Runyon, who was a Pro Bowl offensive tackle. So we got two players, and part of it was – we were able to convince folks that we, you know, yeah, Eddie George is good, but that tight end Ricky Dudley is phenomenal, which he was. We liked Ricky Dudley a lot. We liked Terry Glenn a lot. They was all on that same Ohio State team. But if it got the Raiders to think that we liked Ricky Dudley and the Raiders got antsy and moved up ahead of us and it allowed us to get an extra pick from the Raiders so that we can use it to draft in the fourth round, John Runyon, and still get the guy we wanted down at 14 and didn't have to take him at nine. Oh yeah. I take that all the time. Am I going to lie to people? No, but I might not say something and I might lead you down a path to think something different. It's just, it's kind of part of the game and it's kind of part of, I'm not, I'm going to protect what's on my draft board. And, and, and I always like to say, you got two ears and one mouth, use them accordingly. So I always tried to listen and I always tried to follow up on what I was hearing and make sure that I got the right information from my people and we were on top of it. But then, uh, I didn't try to, you know, ask me the questions. I'll tell you no lies. I, I, I didn't try to lie to you and I didn't try to throw you, but I wouldn't take you to where you wanted me to take you because that's not to the benefit of our organization and our team and our draft strategy. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Coach Landry. Um, Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, It's always a pleasure. I love talking to you because I love getting inside information. Um, Coming up in two minutes, Caleb and I will go through the bowl games and we will give you our picks. So stay tuned sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. 
unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hey folks, Gary Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as always, we want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasti's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasti Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. This is Steve Rain. I own the Midnight Oil and Michelin Tire Direct service station here in Ottawa. It's not a fancy place, never has been, but it's a clean place with clean restrooms and good folks who work here. We sell gas, fix cars, nothing glamorous, but we love what we do and we're going to keep doing it for a long time to come. There's not many real service stations left and that's a shame. We're the guys just like the guys back in your hometown. We'll fix your tire, change your oil, and put a new set of Michelins on your car. If you want a Twinkie, you'll just have to keep on going. Thanks for the business. All right, welcome back. I don't know why my screen is so blurry. It just, it varies. All right, so Caleb, let's take a look at this uh, this weekend in it's officially bowl season. Bowl season is starting. I'm thrilled. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. So let's go through the games that we have this weekend, and we will make our picks, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, and before we get started, I want to say up front, and I put this disclaimer in all the gambling posts we do, guys, gambling odds are subject to change. When we give you the line, that may not be the line when you bet, so don't come so don't complain to us later uh, over that. Some people that don't is, know that, Amanda. What? I've never had um, I've never had anybody complain to me about my gambling picks. There was there was a network I, I I know of in the past that covers gambling where they're they've literally had to cover themselves from lawsuits by saying that. So wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I'm going to say it up front just so we don't get sued on some petty lawsuit because you guys did not know that gambling lines do change. All right, so we're pulling things from FanDuel. Um, we're going to start with a 6-6 six and six versus 6-6 six and six team bowl game in the Bahamas. Miami Woo! of Ohio and the UAB Blazers in the Bahamas Bowl. There are no opt-outs in this game. UAB's favored by 10.5, and, and the over-under is 45.5. All right, I'm taking UAB with the points. Really? Yes, I think I'm a big believer in UAB. I'm a, I'm with you. I'm a fan of UAB as a program. I think UAB is very similar to, um, it's kind of what what Memphis did a few years ago um, when they hired Justin Fuente, which not a fan of him now, given how we treated Hendon Hooker, but 
where they kind of realized they were sleeping giant at the lower level in football. I think UAB could be that next program that's like that. Um, I'm taking UAB too. I'm also go the over under is 45.5. I would have taken the under, but I think it's a little low. I'm gonna take the over. So you may take the under just based on Miami of Ohio's quarterback being a 49% completion rate. Um, I think that's really low. And UAB is is really good, I think, against the run. So I'm gonna go with the under but only because I don't think Miami of Ohio will score that many points. All righty. Um, next up on the list, the other, only other bowl game for today, this afternoon at 3 o'clock on ESPN, is the Trading Cure Bowl in Orlando. Two top 25 group of five teams, Texas, San Antonio, and Troy. Um, Texas, San Antonio is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is at 56.5 as of right now. Once again, no opt-outs. Who are we taking, Amanda? Uh, I'm taking, again, and I I normally don't do this because I normally like to take the underdog or at least with the points, but I'm taking uh, UTSA. I think their quarterback's really, really good. I think that they're going to – I think they're going to do great things against Troy. You know, what's funny is I actually agree with you. I'm taking UCSA on the to cover the two and a half point spread too. And I'm starting with, because of the quarterback play, I'm going with the over in this one. Same. Um, you're going with the over too? I will go with the over as well, yes. All right. So those are the bowls for today. All right. Starting tomorrow, we actually get some intriguing bowls um, that I'm not used to getting this early in the bowl season, quite honestly. The first is the Fenway Bowl. Cincinnati plays Louisville. Um, Cincinnati has a few op, uh, opt-outs, most notably tight end Josh Weil. Um, they got three players in the transfer portal. None of them seem to be huge impact players. Same with Louisville. Um, uh, they have three players in the transfer portal. But uh, the big story is Cincinnati is without Josh Weil, and they are – and Louisville is favored by one and a half. Over-under set at 38.5. Yes, 38.5. Oh, see, that seems like a that seems like a catch. I don't know. That seems like a trap. I guess is what I mean. Because you think, oh, the over under thirty eight, not go over, obviously. But I don't know, and I know, know that what. But you're saying Vegas must know something. That... Yeah. But I know that Cincinnati doesn't have, if I'm not mistaken, their starting quarterback Ben Bryant. He's out. Yes. And I think that that will make a big difference in this game. So they both have interim head coaches. I just see Luke Fickle having Cincinnati more prepared, though. I know he left. He, he went to Wisconsin. But, I see, yeah, I see him having them a better coach team. So I'm going to go with Cincinnati plus two. Okay. Um, well, so oh, so you you're going them on the money line. Are you going? To, are you going them on the spread or the money line? On the spread, I could see them winning by like, or I could see them losing by one or something like that. Okay. Um, so you are going Cincy plus one and a half, which is basically plus two. Um, yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm going Cincy outright, actually. Um, 
I find Louisville to be somewhat overrated, massively overrated. If, 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 if you know, I think they are coasting on a win over NC State, who I think you and I also find to be overrated, particularly with the injuries they had at quarterback this year. Um, so I'm going to go Cincy to upset Louisville outright. Um, I'm with you over under, man. That is so tricky. And I get it. It, it reminds me of, so last week I got beat in the NFL. So the Vikings were a underdog against the Lions, despite being 10 and two. And then I didn't realize underdogs that are 10 and two to the teams with losing records with that with the Vikings winning percentage or higher to teams with losing records week 14 and on are 0 and 8 against the spread 0 and 9 now so Vegas knows something when they set these outlandish lines um these are all poser teams Vikings are posers I'm sorry they're posers exactly so and I have their defense on my fantasy football team oh you do oh gosh I'm gonna it was great for a while till it wasn't oh yeah that's a good point. <laughs> well, Detroit's actually gotten good recently too, but yeah. So I'm going to go against every instinct in me, and I'm going to take the under because I'm with you. I think Vegas knows something, so I I, I trust Vegas. So I'm taking the under. Yeah. yeah, they always win for a reason. So yeah, go I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going with the under as well. I actually, right, so. I probably wouldn't touch it, but if I have to pick, I'm going the under. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I am too. Um, okay, so let's move on. We have here's another kind of like shell of a bowl game, honestly, particularly from one side. But um, Florida and Oregon State um, in the Las Vegas Bowl, first SEC bowl game. Um, it's at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Um, you've got Oregon State ten and a half point favorites over under fifty two point five. Amanda, I don't know where you are. I'm I'm kind of all in on Oregon State covering, given how all Florida's opt outs. Yeah, I, I'm the same. Isn't Anthony Richardson going to the draft? Not that it matters that much, but yeah. And then Anthony Richardson their, is going to the draft. Their backup quarterback has been arrested <laughs> on child pornography charges. Oh yeah, <laughs> Florida. Yeah, but yeah, Florida's backup quarterback has been arrested on um, some unsavory, unsavory things. So I'm I'm gonna go with. Oregon State. I'll take the points. I'll whatever. I'll take them on the spread. Yeah. Yeah. I'm taking them on the spread easily. Um, also, Osiris Torrance, Florida's, I think, most key offensive player, their star offensive lineman, is also opting out. So I'm with you. Uh, I think we're both taking Oregon State um, on the spread. Uh, over, under? Going under. I am too. I'm going under because I just don't think Florida's going to score. No, unless they score defensively, I don't see them scoring. And I don't I think Oregon State's too too good for that. So I see. Yeah, I'm going under. Yeah, I agree. All right. So we've got the next we've got the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl um at SoFi oh Stadium. <laughs> at SoFi Stadium in uh Inglewood, California. We've got um Washington State and Fresno State, according to FanDuel. Fresno State's a four point favorite. Over under 52.5. Um, where are you going, Amanda? Um, I am going to take a Washington State with the points, but I'm going to take the over, 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 over. Like, I'm going to take the over. I think I would take the over if it was plus 10 points. Okay, so was. you're taking Washington State plus four. Uh-huh. 
and then you're taking the over. I Washington State has more opt-outs. The games in Cali could be closer to a home game for Fresno State. I know they're a group of five, but the other thing is, I don't want to get dark, but there's a lot of players on Washington State still that were recruited by Mike Leach um, right now. I, I don't know what their mentality is going to be like, given what's happened. Um, there's still players on the team that played for Mike Leach. Um, and... I think that'll be a motivation, honestly, more than anything. I think that will make them go out and want to win. Do it for the Pirate. Okay, I could see that. Uh, I'm I'm going the opposite. I'm I'm going. Um, I'm I'm I'm. I think it's gonna. I, I think it's gonna kind of distract him. It's gonna remind me of that when Oak, the year Alab the 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 year Alabama got to the national championship after losing to LSU. Remember, to 2011, the yes, game I that do. got him in was Oklahoma State losing to Iowa State on a Friday night, and I think it was a distraction from there was a tragic plane crash with the OSU women's basketball team that day. Um. I, I, I'm I'm going to go Fresno State. I'm going to take the points. Fresno State covers, um, and I'm going to go over too. I'll, I'll, I'm going to I'm with you. I'm taking the points. I'm going over. So it's a big QB battle. So I think that that's yeah, yeah. I agree. Are you taking Washington State outright or just the points? Just the points. I don't like to do outright underdogs. Really? Yeah. Most of the time, I don't like to do that unless I'm very confident in the team. See, I my, my rule is I do it if it's within two points, just because the payout's so much better. So that's true. Um, okay, so we now have the Lending Tree Bowl um, with five and seven Rice against six and six Southern Miss in Mobile, Alabama. I don't think there is a bowl less worthy of attention than this one. <laughs> but Southern Miss is a six and a half point favorite. The over under is forty five point five. Um, no opt-outs for either team. Where are you going, Amanda? Um, I'm going to take Southern Miss, and just because they managed to beat Tulane this season. So I'm going to go ahead and take Southern Miss with this. And also, I'm not a huge fan of Rice because that's one of the teams that Coach Bryant didn't beat. It was Rice, randomly enough. Really? Yep. I see that. I'm not a huge fan of Southern Miss because that is a program that is getting a bunch of free perks from on the backs of welfare recipients in the state of Mississippi because they're getting money funneled to them by Brett Favre illegally. Um, so, <laughs> um, but as much as I despise Southern Miss for that, and as much as I don't think they deserve to be happy as a football program or as an athletics program in general after that, because that was such a low thing that the program did, they're better than Rice. So I'm with you on that. I, I I think we're both on Southern Miss. I The over-under is 45.5. I'm going to go over. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, I'll go over. Okay. All right. So next for us, we have um, – that was the Lending Tree Bowl. All right, later in the night, we've got the New Mexico Bowl. That is going to be BYU and Southern Methodist. Um, BYU has um, Jaron Hall banged up. Their quarterback, Jaron Hall, is banged up, I think. Um, Campbell Barrington and Lupini Katoa also out. SMU has nobody that's – SMU has no opt-outs yet so far. Right now – BYU's favor or SMU is favored by four. Excuse me. The over under is at 64 and a half. 
I thought Rishi Rice was opting out for SMU. Oh, yes. They're star wide out. Yeah. They're all American okay. wideouts opting out. So I did not see that. Uh let's see. Um, I think you actually might be right. I think you're right. Um okay. Yes. Yes, he, he's opting out. He apparently has a toe injury. So SMU is without their top receiver. BYU's quarterback is questionable. So where are we going? Whew. That's that's rough. Um, I think their quarterback plays. I think that I'm going to take BYU with this. You're going to take plus BYU? Yeah, BYU plus. Did you say it's three and a half, or did you say it was something different? Well, it's SMU by four. Yeah, but BYU is plus three and a half. They're plus four. Plus four. Okay. So I'm going to take BYU plus four. Okay. Um, I am going to take uh, Southern Methodist, uh, SMU, because I just, I don't know, BYU's been so wildly inconsistent this year. Um, sure. And so I'm not a believer in them as much. I think the offensive opt-outs, again, this is one where I think Vegas knows something we don't. The offensive opt-outs lead me to want to take the under 64.5. But if it's that high, I'm like, does Vegas know something? Yeah, I know. I want to take the under as well. Um, and maybe Vegas does know something, but I'm going to go with the under. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, 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 I can't. I, 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 with, with, even if BYU's quarterback is fully, is playing, we don't know how healthy he is or how hard he wants to go. So I'm with you. Um, I'm going the under. And the last bowl game of the weekend is the Frisco Bowl. And I'm sorry, I always get thrown out, thrown off when I see that because I assume the bowl game's in San Francisco <laughs> and it's in Frisco, Texas. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Um, but it's Boise State in North Texas. Boise State's a 10.5 point favorite. Over under is 59.5 as far as opt outs. Um, North Texas has none. Boise State has three players out, but I don't think any of them were significant to the team this year, except for their quarterback, but he's been out since early October. So who are we going with? Ten and a half is such a big spread, but I feel like, again, Vegas knows something we don't. So I'm taking Boise State. I agree. Um I, I, I'm going Boise State. I think Boise State's just a better team in general. They've been proving themselves without their quarterback for half the season anyway. So, um, yeah, I'm going Boise State. The over-under is 59.5. Are you going with that? I'm going under. Okay, I'm going to go over. So we've got I'm taking the over, you're taking the under, and I think that's all the bowl games for the weekend. Um there's one more, but it's not really a... Oh, that's right. Jackson State and uh, NC Central? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, NC Central. Okay. Um, if we're doing that, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't see a line for FanDuel from that one. Um, uh, but Plus, it's 14. Okay. Jackson 14. State's favored by 14. Yeah, even with Deion Sanders gone, I'm going NC Central. I'm going Jackson State. Um, I got to be honest. I think that Deion Sanders won because he recruited a lot of talent. That talent is still there. Jackson State has Division One talent and FCS play, so I, I got them covering fourteen point spread. See, I think that they are uh, more focused on the transfer portal now that Deion's gone. So I got <laughs> I got NC NC Central. Okay. Um, all right. Well, so that's where we break. Um, 
Anything else you got for the weekend, Amanda? I don't. I'm just excited. Bowl season's here, and uh, Dave will be back on Monday. So all good, all good news for us. We did it a week, Caleb. We did it. We handled it for the week. And we did. So nostalgic. I'm with you. Bowl season's so nostalgic for me because I associate it with like right when I would get off school for the holiday break, mm-hmm. and like, and so I know people say the you know we should get rid of these meaningless bowl games. No, we shouldn't. They're fun. You know, just because you don't like them doesn't mean that other people don't enjoy them. And so I enjoy them. Yeah, I They're enjoy fun. them too. Not exactly. sports betting is if is legal. They're a lot more fun. So. Yes, they're a lot more fun. Also a lot more addictive. Um. Yes. <laughs> All right. So for Caleb Calhoun, I'm Amanda LaFrada. This is Off the Hook Sports. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you on Monday. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.